Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. For Animal Health Awareness Week, Department of Agriculture vet Michael Horn joins us to give insight into the importance of surveillance and early detection of disease in animals from an animal health, human health and trading and marketing perspective of Irish products. And first, Michael explains the purpose of the Animal Health Awareness Working Group to maintain high health and welfare standards across Irish dairy farms. So, Emma-Louise, we do have some reasons to believe in recent years that maybe the risk of some of these exotic diseases coming in is a little bit higher than it was. And there's a number of reasons for that, which are... um, globalization which was kind of increasing every year there's greater movement of products people and animals uh, between countries which carries the risk of transmitting disease with it and then the, the the idea of climate change you know like we've had diseases like blue tongue emerging in the netherlands there in 2006 you know it emerged in a location which was further north than it had ever um, you know occurred before so um yeah we were concerned about this and we did set up this early warning surveillance working group within the department and um, essentially we were looking at whether our systems for detecting um, you know exotic diseases and new diseases if those should occur were up to scratch and what we found really were that um, our main systems of detecting these diseases um, they really depend on good farmer awareness and good awareness among vets and uh, therefore we we realized quite quickly that if there was a weakness in our systems it was that that you know when a bit of time elapses since the last major um, incursion of an exotic disease uh, aware, awareness tends to slip a bit and uh, if we can keep the awareness high we have a much better chance of detecting uh, these diseases at a, at a at a at a at an earlier stage so therefore that's where the idea for the animal health awareness week came from and like when we talk about disease, uh, can you give us an example of an occasion where disease detection didn't work as well as it might have or maybe should have? And, you know, it led to, I guess, a widespread crisis, um, you know, from an animal health perspective. I do have a couple of examples of these. Like, so there was uh, foot and mouth in 2001 in the UK. And in that case, um you know, the, the outbreak cost uh, the UK government billions of euro. It spread not just throughout the UK, it spread into other countries in Europe as well. And um, of course, um, the, 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 um, the outbreak disrupted our lives quite a lot. Like as farmers, uh, farmers weren't able to continue with what they do on a normal basis. Um, and even members of the public found that uh, sporting events were cancelled and, uh, you know, uh, races were cancelled, quilta forests were closed and, and things like that. Um, so, like, the, the, we, we were sort of, in, in a way, in a better position in this country. Um, foot and mouth disease did come in here, but by the time it came in here, we were on the alert because of what was happening in the UK. And uh, the, the outbreak uh, cost... 210 million in this country but uh, the authors of a cost report into the episode found that if there had been a widespread outbreak um, it would have cost uh, between 1 billion and 5.6 billion so um, uh, 
I, I suppose then uh, the, the, some of the features of the outbreak in the UK, uh, they found it was caused by feeding um, illegally imported meat to pigs. And uh, there's a number of things there, I suppose. I suppose the person who imported the meat illegally probably didn't intend to cause a massive outbreak of disease in livestock. The person who fed the meat to pigs in probably kitchen scraps or something like that, or uh, catering waste, probably didn't intend to cause a major disaster. Um, and the people who failed to detect the disease early enough probably didn't intend to cause uh, a major disaster. But um, that's why we need to be aware. We need to be ready to act in order to prevent disease in the first place. But if it does come in, to be on the ball and, and to get it early so that it doesn't spread throughout our whole animal population. And um, there is another example, Emma Louise, I could talk about their BSE, uh, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, so BSE then, um, you know, it was first uh, described in 1987. Um, there was a, a, a particular farm where there were a number of cows displaying unusual signs. Um, and that's how, that's how it was detected really through the uh, perseverance of the vet who sent carcasses to his local, uh, what we would call regional veterinary lab, I suppose. But th the point about it is that, uh, you know, UK beef was a premium product up, to, up until 1995 and they had a, a, a thriving export trade, you know, they had 650 million worth of, uh, sorry, 650 million pounds sterling worth of exports of beef in 1995. And then all of a sudden in 1996, due to BSE, the exports of UK beef were banned. But it was interesting to hear what um, this man, Mr. Richard Sibley, uh, submitted to the inquiry into the, uh, the crisis, which was um, sort of a, it's called the Phillips inquiry. And they, 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 they decided to hold this inquiry when the dust settled a little bit to see what went wrong and what they could learn. And what he submitted really was that the surveillance of non-notifiable diseases was limited by variations in reporting, investigation and consultation between farmers and between vets. So in other words, like really the detection of diseases, which such as new diseases or even, even exotic diseases, which, um, which farmers and vets can't exactly pinpoint which one they are. It, it just depends on farmers and vets getting to the bottom of animal health issues in their farm and bringing in a lab to, to look into what exactly is going on here. Uh, and uh, when they look back on the BSE episode, they found that anecdotal evidence, lots of anecdotal evidence of vets saying, well, we've seen cows like this since the late 1970s. Um, you know, they just, uh, it was just in this particular farm um, where the farmer and the vet really got to the bottom of, of, the, of the problem. And I guess that's what you're talking about, Michael, when you say identifying these um, diseases quickly. So essentially, uh, BSE existed uh, for 10 years before it was identified in the UK. I guess if you can enlighten us in terms of the consequences of that BSE outbreak um, for the UK. There is a suspicion that it could have been around for up, up to you know, eight to 10 years before it was actually described in the veterinary record. Um, so, of course, like there was, um, I mean, it caused massive upheaval that BSE outbreak did. I, I've already spoken about the, the loss of the export market, which, of course, massively impacted on the value of livestock. 
Um, it affected the livelihoods of farmers. And then, of course, there was the public health consequences for those people unfortunate enough to develop uh, new variant CJD from, the, fr fr from consuming contaminated beef products. Uh, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking to read the accounts of what that caused. Um, for the UK exchequer, um, they incurred 3.7 billion uh, in direct costs due to BSE up till the year 2002. So, I mean, it's just uh, the consequences of something like this becoming established in our animal population are, are just unthinkable. You know, they're, they're just uh, uh, phenomenal, you know. And and a few things that I want to pick up with um with you on that uh, Michael and I suppose the first thing is like there's um I mean you you mentioned it the the consequences for the exchequer and the consequences for farmers and I guess we can take a lot from what you're saying you know there's a lot of similarities with us we export a lot of our dairy meat products so you know we need to uh, you know have those really high um you know standards and i guess what is the department's role in maintaining those standards and i guess the ireland's product in terms of um trading yeah so so that's a really that's a really good point emma louise so i suppose when we think about or certainly when i was a vet in practice or even as a farmer's son growing up, and I was thinking about foot and mouth, well, what, what would foot and mouth do to the country? Well, I'm always thinking about the, the most visible signs, which is the, you know, the cattle being depopulated and uh, you know, disposed of by, well, we could see the pictures from the UK of cattle being burned on pyres and this kind of thing going on. But um, the, the trade element is, is, is much more serious because as soon as you get, like a, a lot of our, our products are sold on the basis of certificates, Veterinary health certificates uh, are what accompany our agri-food products going into other countries. And we've heard quite a bit about these due to, due to Brexit. So a lot of them, a lot of these certs just say the foot and mouth is absent from the country. So the minute you get a foot and mouth or another disease um, like that, uh, which the cert says is absent, if you know what I mean, well, then all of a sudden your certs can't be signed and you're, you, have a big, you have a big problem in selling our dairy and our beef products and of course other products as well um and you know th this while, while the the costs we've spoken about the depopulation of animals and compensation costs for farmers like they are like i'm not trying to make light of them they're very very substantial but the trade costs could probably be be bigger depending on the the size of the outbreak and of course you don't just you don't just get your freedom back the minute you get the last case because you have to demonstrate then that your uh, you know your country is free that can take several months but um i just i wouldn't mind going through maybe a a, a cert to china there emma louise uh, because you know um there's a lot of diseases which the chinese are interested in which maybe don't uh, take up much of uh the average farmer's attention on a daily basis. So like the Chinese uh, want us to confirm that Ireland is free from foot and mouth, uh, rinderpest, contagious bovine pleuropneumonia, lumpy skin disease, and peste petty ruminant. They have uh, BSE, uh, BSE measures that they want to uh, have fulfilled. Um, they want animals to be, uh, have a unique identification which can be traced back to the, uh, you know, the farm of birth. 
And then they want to originate from farms where there's no clinical cases of blue tongue, brucellosis, anthrax, ojeskis, paratuberculosis, tuberculosis, vesicular stomatitis, Q fever, leishmaniasis, heart water, infectious bovine rhinotracheitis, bovine genital campylobacteriosis and bovine viral diarrhea. So some of those are familiar and some of them are not so familiar, but I suppose the point I'm making here is that the department of the whole has a whole set of tasks in the animal health um, in the animal health area, which it has to, which it has to accomplish every year. So that where farmers and, and vets, I think, deserve great credit for doing their stuff in the field every every day and every week. You know, they do deliver good animal health and good animal welfare, and they deserve credit for that. But the department has its role to play as well. And uh, just a few things the department does, um, like we have a national disease control centre, which consists of a team of vets and support workers who work. Um, work continually in seeking to prevent these diseases coming in and in being prepared to uh, get, get on top of them and stamp them out quickly if they do. Um, we do have a laboratory service, the regional veterinary laboratories, which provide support to farmers. And, uh, you know, they're not only important for farmers running their businesses, um, you know, because they help them to, to deal with the commoner, you know, the common or endemic diseases, as we call them. But they're they're also really, really important because they're continually watching for uh, a pattern of disease which would suggest that one of these uh, exotic diseases has come in and they're ready to uh, carry out testing for any one of those diseases if it's, if it's suspected to be present. And then uh, finally, another thing maybe the department is involved in which mightn't be very prominent to farmers. Um, we do like carry out quite a lot of work in demonstrating freedom from some of those diseases which I've mentioned. Like, you know, we, we have a cull cow program in slaughter plants where we, we select cows very carefully and we uh, test them for brucellosis, enzootic bovine leukosis and blue tongue. And um, on the back of that testing then, um, you know, the vets, our vets can then sign these certs to say that, uh, you know, the country is free of these diseases. And it's something we can show to trading partners as well when they're thinking about buying our beef and dairy products that look, yeah, we are free. Well, how do you know you're free? Well, because we've done this testing. So, and then of course, there's this business of when it comes to BSE, which is a like a high, still a high profile international disease. We test 60,000 or so uh, bovines like we sample them in knackeries and we deliver the testing of those every year, you know, really, really large testing program. And that's okay. We have to do it to comply with EU regulations, but because we do it well and convincingly, we can market our beef and dairy products on the back of that. I think it's it's really interesting what you say, Michael. And I suppose if we just bring ourselves back to the the health cert that you um, spoke about, that um, I suppose we need to maintain um, the standards with uh, for China. And I was uh, counting with my fingers as you named them out. And there's over twenty diseases listed there. And absolutely, I think when um, you know when when we milk cows, we we don't we're not necessarily ticking off all those things in our head. So it's really interesting to bring it. Back back to exactly what sort of standards that we have to maintain um, for our um, export markets. And as you say, there's some of those diseases that we're not necessarily aware of, but the department are. And in the background, they're doing a lot of surveillance and, and checks um, you know, to ensure that... Um, 
all those standards are upheld. Um, I guess then another point that you made in relation to the BSE is that, you know, the BSE actually affected uh, the human population. And, you know, you often hear that um, there may be links between um, ill health and disease in animals and public health. I suppose, can you give us some more information on that and, you know, how animal disease can cause social and economic upheaval. Um, you know, like, I mean, I, I know COVID is, is a, an interesting example that we're living at the moment, but I, I suppose, can you give us more detail there? Yeah, so so um, ju- just, to, just to go back to the, the Chinese health cert there for a minute, I, I just want to stress that those 20 diseases are diseases I've listed out of a section of the health cert. So there may be a few more as well, Emma Louise, you know, but uh, t- to get back to your question on the, on the um, the link between animal and human health. So worldwide, you know, um, it is actually um, zoonoses, which are diseases of animals which can affect human humans. It is these zoonoses which are responsible for the majority of human deaths and the, the majority of cases of human illness. And uh, they're also responsible, by the way, for the biggest loss in live pro- livestock production. But uh, their impact in countries like ours is much, much less. And this is, again, it's down to having um, diseases of animals under quite good control. And uh, we could always nitpick and say there are certain diseases which we aren't controlling as well as we could. But in general, compared to other countries, um, we have have a good handle on things, um, you know, be it it brucellosis, BVD, uh, TB, some of these other major uh, major international pathogens. Either they've been eradicated or they didn't get in here. Um, and, uh, or, else, or else we have quite effective control programs, which mean that they only affect uh, a small proportion of the, of the population and they're not allowed, allowed to, uh, you know, to run their course through it. But... Um, that's an important point because when we're talking about work work of the department which maybe people aren't aware of i suppose that's a a a a thing which um an aspect which people might overlook that because we don't notice ourselves getting sick from brucellosis anymore we might forget that you know the work that was done to eradicate it um it was a thing that a lot of farmers and vets contracted brucellosis back in the 80s and and uh, 90s and um you know, they, there's some people still have brucellosis for life out of that. So it's a massive reason why we should pay better attention to animal health. But um, when it comes to uh, sort of these pandemics, then yes, like they do believe that um, a, about two thirds of new human infections originate in animals, like COVID is a good example. But if you think about all the other, you know, major human health scares in the last decade, we have to think about things like, you know, uh, SARS, uh, this thing, MERS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Um, uh, we're thinking about things like swine flu, uh, avian flu. And, and there are, you know, almost all of them that I can think of anyway are, uh, you know, they did originate in animal, in animal populations. Um, but I suppose when we're talking about COVID, there's a few things that we would like to draw attention to. So the first thing is, just as you said, COVID has turned our lives upside down. Um, it's caused social and economic upheaval far in excess of its direct health effects. I mean, I haven't contracted COVID, but I'm working from my attic. I'm recording this, uh, you know, from my attic as we speak. Um, and then um, the other thing um, 
like animals, animal diseases. If, if, if a new animal disease were to arise here, God forbid, but if it did, um, certainly it could cause economic and social upheaval along the same lines, you know, if it got established. Like, uh, even if it doesn't affect humans, which it could, because we don't know what the next new animal, or sorry, the next new emerging disease in animals is going to look like. But if it affects humans, it certainly has a whole, uh, a whole other element to it. But even something along the lines of a foot and mouth or an African swine fever, I mean, if, if it gets through the population, it could cause serious economic losses, um, all those things we talked about with foot and mouth. Um, it could cause restrictions. We mightn't be able to move around as much as we'd like. We mightn't be able to operate our farms and our businesses as much as we'd like. So, you know, it behoves us all really to try to get to grips with something like that uh, at an early stage. And, you know, it comes back to what the, what the vet in Britain said about BSE, I suppose, you know, the best way to, to, to be on the lookout for a new disease of animals is to get to the bottom of uh, health problems on your farm, whether you believe they're caused by a new disease or whether you think it's just something that's rumbling on, which is common. Like if you get to the bottom of it, then, um, you know, you will, you're, 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 what would you say? You're, 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 uh, you're getting to the bottom of it if it's a mundane or common disease, but you're also doing your bit then to protect the livestock population from something more sinister. And and let's go look at a farm level in terms of, you know, the animal population. And, you know, can you talk us through from your perspective and what you see in the department, the importance of animal health at a farm level? Like, you know, there is a certain level of, of disease out there that um, we do need to get a handle on. And it may not be a situation where there's, you know, a cull of a herd because of a disease, but there may be something happening at a smaller level. You know, what's the impact of that? OK, so I suppose we are in a way back to we're we're getting it's a very interconnected story, I suppose. But let's let, let's just think about low you know cer certain level of diseases on farm what what they do well they like animal disease is linked with animal welfare so um you know our citizens our irish citizens our eu citizens want to have uh, animals which have lives worth living it's it's very very difficult to have uh, animals with good animal welfare um if they're uh, a substantial number of them are affected with disease um, even if you think about lame, lame, lameness and dairy cows, if uh, you know if a substantial number of animals is affected with that disease because it is a disease, well, um, you know it's hard to say the welfare is good. Um, and then you know we can think about the sustainability issues. Um, if there's a, a a lot of losses due to deaths or sickness, um, you know you're also going to have uh, if there's disease in the herd, you're also going to have lost lost production, which could be, you know, that could far eclipse or outweigh the actual direct costs from animals dying. But that means that um, the products that we produce are much less sustainable and getting our house in order with regard to sustainability is becoming much more important. I mean, if you read the Farmer's Journal any week, the amount of stuff on sustainability and getting that angle right is is huge. Um, so th 
these these are just some of the these are just some of the issues um, uh, facing that, that the department thinks about when we when we think about low levels of, of, of animal disease. Another one is antimicrobial resistance. You know, if if there's not good uh, biosecurity and good herd health management disease prevention measures in place, we become um, dependent on using quite a lot of antibiotics in some cases. Whereas if you've good herd health, um, if you have good herd health and if you're getting on top of your animal health in the herd, uh, good biosecurity, keeping diseases out, well then all of a sudden you've better animal welfare, you've uh, more sustainable production and you don't need to use the antibiotics. Um, and all of these are, as I say, they're, they're issues for our citizens, like Irish people don't want our farms to be uh, dependent on antibiotics, have bad animal welfare, uh, and, and to be unsustainable. European citizens, who at the end of the day, I suppose, are paying our subsidies, um, don't want that either. But uh, as much as all that then, our consumers don't want it. So if we want to sell our products, we do have to get to grips with these challenges and better animal health, um, even for what we think about are the, are the mundane diseases, it also addresses that challenge because if you can, if you could increase the standard of animal health, use more prevention, better health, herd health management, um, then you're, 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 you're making progress on many fronts, uh, as well as being in a good position to detect one of these exotic um, or new diseases, uh, Emma Louise. And I think, um, Michael, you're touching on a lot of points there. And when, when we reflect on what you're saying, I think there's a great example of a lot of it on farms at the moment. And it's all about the awareness. And, you know, people are, you know, identifying cows that are, you know, potentially they would become lame in a week's time, but people are recognising it and taking action early. And when you talk about antimicrobial resistance, you know, a lot of farmers in the country are now taking action in terms of, you know, they're doing selective dry cow therapy. So where they would have given an antibiotic to every cow at dry off, now they're selecting out, you know, starting small with maybe 10% of the herd and building it up where, you know, a small proportion of the herd, you know, in time is going to get an antibiotic at that stage. So, you know, farmers are becoming more aware, educating themselves and making the right decisions. I guess, you know, we've talked about the, the health cert and that, but, you know, from a national level, where we're getting this animal health, you know, right, you know, what does it offer us, um, you know, in terms of um, from a farmer perspective, processor and, and on to, um, you know, exporting our products? Yeah, so I suppose there's the, the farmer, the farmers and processors, again, there, there's some diseases of animals they don't think about because they're not here. And I, I suppose having certain diseases out of this country, such as the foot and mouths, the African swine fevers, apart from all the, you know, the trade implications of having these absent so that we can certify our products as free. Well, if you compare us to the likes of uh, African countries, Asian countries, where such diseases are rampant, um, you know, having these diseases out, it allows farmers to plan ahead with peace of mind um, that that their that their herds won't be decimated by by um, really really contagious diseases. It allows processors to plan ahead, knowing that they will they they could be pretty confident of a supply of raw material. There is a good example there, like of you know when Kerry Group was starting up. Um, it, it was it was the early eighties, I think, and uh, uh, all of a sudden, just because of a wet summer and because 
of an outbreak of brucellosis in Kerry, which had to be dealt with by removing infected animals. Their milk supply just got suddenly cut back and they could have been, you know, they could have been, um, had their business knocked on the head at a very early stage due to animal disease. So, so, so like the agri-food industry is worth an awful, awful lot to Ireland. Um, it's, it's, it, it contributes a very substantial amount to uh, employment and it, particularly it contributes quite a lot to development of our rural, you know, our, our more remote areas, such as uh, maybe in the West and border, border midlands where there mightn't be as much in the way of industry going on as there is in the Eastern seaboard. So um, I, I suppose from that point of view then, um, having the processors in place and so that they're prepared to expand their operations here, it is a benefit to the economy and society and it is ultimately a benefit to farmers as well because you know the more the more the processors can expand their operations um, the more of an outlet the farmers have for for their products um, so you know um, I suppose from from the department's point of view then at, at national level there is a you know there is a a marketing perspective to it as well as a health certification perspective because I mean if we're coming along to a third country and trying to get them to buy our beef for our dairy products. Well, I mean, it puts us on the front foot and strengthens our hand a lot if, um, if we can say, well, we're free of a lot of diseases and only have a small number compared to the other way around. So, I mean, there, there are, there are, there are um, effects of this. There are just so many effects of better animal health and that, that's really why we're, we, we think it's worth putting on an Animal Health Awareness Week. And and Michael, you know, finally to get some practical tips um, from your perspective as a vet, um, you know, uh, talking to farmers today, your advice to optimise animal health and welfare on farms. What are your key messages? Like in terms of the, the exotic diseases first, which are the ones we're, I suppose, we're, we're often concerned about in the department. I, I would ask farmers to avoid importing livestock unless absolutely necessary from other countries, because that's a way that diseases can come in and never feed food waste to livestock. You know, if you have a pig at home, avoid feeding waste from the kitchen to that, to that animal. Um, practice good biosecurity. Um, you know, you think about how diseases could come into your farm and keep them out. Um, become familiar with the signs of the main exotic and notifiable diseases and, and be prepared to report uh, such diseases promptly if you suspect them. I'm thinking of the likes of foot and mouth and blue tongue here. And you will see information um, on, on those diseases on the gov.ie website in the agriculture section. Um, ask the vet to refer carcasses and samples to the department's regional veterinary laboratories if you're, you know, if you find that there's disease or mortality that you just can't get to the bottom of and there's no clear diagnosis. If you don't get an answer on the first one, keep sending more case, more samples and uh, it's highly likely that you will get to the bottom of it. It's good for your, you know, it's good for your bottom line. Um, you're getting to the bottom of uh, a mundane health issue, if that's what it is. You're also helping to protect your herd and other herds from, you know, exotic diseases or more, uh, more unusual uh, uh, diseases, I suppose. And then in terms of these common or endemic diseases, maintaining a closed herd if you can. If you have to buy in livestock, try to limit the number of herds you buy from and try to, uh, try to buy them in with a known negative disease status if you can. Uh, avoiding sharing of equipment and vehicles. Try to maintain good fences and 
protect your herd from wildlife where possible. Uh, use uh, proper use of vaccinations, uh, using anthelmintics, which are wormers and antimicrobials, mainly antibiotics, uh, sparingly. Uh, engage with your local vet to put in place an effective herd health program for your herd and engage with organizations uh, such as TAGUSC, ICBF and AHI to secure good animal health outcomes. But I suppose to sum it up then, what I would say is just be vigilant for the occurrence of these exotic diseases and be prepared to report them if they do occur. And then, you know, uh, get to the bottom of animal health issues that are ongoing in your farm. It's probably good for your bottom line, so you're doing yourself a favor, but you're also protecting to, uh, to help, helping to protect the livelihoods of other farmers and of many other citizens as well who maybe work in the agri-food industry. Um, so that's really, um, that's really what I have to say as regards the, the take-home message uh, on that, uh, Emma-Louise. Yeah, I think a lot of very practical tips there, Michael. And as you say, you know, it actually it, it leads to a, a positive impact on the bottom line for farmers, you know, more profit where you've healthy animals. Um, you know, looking at Animal Health Awareness Week, Michael, what other activities can we expect to see this week? So, uh, yeah, as, as we're, we're having uh, several other podcasts as well as this one on the Chagas uh, on the Chagas platform. So we are having a. Uh, a sheep podcast, a pig podcast, and a beef podcast as well. And they're all being released uh, this week. Um, we're having webinars in the evening from the 23rd to the 26th of November. Uh, the one on Monday is to do with the links between animal and human health. And uh, the one on Tuesday is to do with sheep diseases. The one on Wednesday is to do with pig health and biosecurity. And the one on Thursday then is to do with cattle health. Um, and we do have a variety of um, our, our minister, Charlie McConnell is launching the Animal Health Awareness Week on the Monday. And we do have Minister Hackett uh, launching the sheep uh, webinar on the Tuesday and Minister Hayden launching the cattle webinar on the Thursday. And uh, then we do also have, we're sending out posters to locations which are being visited, you know, which are often visited by farmers. Um, we have a social media campaign there, so please like and share our, our, our tweets. And we are getting into certain relevant third level colleges like uh, veterinary nursing courses, uh, veterinary medicine course in UCD, uh, agricultural college courses. Uh, some of them run by Tagusk and I think some of them are sort of, uh, you know, have, have links with Tagusk as well. And then uh, there's also some ag science courses in the Institutes of Technology that are getting some of these third level presentations as well. That's the majority of it. But if you visit gov.ie and search for Animal Health Awareness Week in the search box, you'll, uh, you'll, 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 you'll get all the information there. And uh, I'd encourage everyone, especially farmers and vets who may be listening to, uh, you know, to engage in our webinars and to, you know, to, to, to take on board the messages in their daily work. And I think at that point, we'll wrap it up, Michael. Um, this has been a really, really interesting conversation um, listening to you today. I think it's um, really insightful to see the crucial role that the Department of Agriculture are playing in the background. You know, a lot of us would be unaware of that. Um, you know, a huge amount of surveillance um, and early detection of diseases, um, you know, which is so important in maintaining our ability to market our product and to get a good price for our milk or meat, whatever um, it may be for particular farmers. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much, Emma Louise, and thanks for helping to spread the word.
That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to vet Michael Horn for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.